Um, <laughs> hey there, Second South. Want to just uh, give my little uh, hello. The shoes are here, so Catacombs still sits in the front. Um, hello, I am Dustin Hayes. Um, I am a recent alum, 2020, uh, Second South alum specifically, and I now work in the admissions office. <laughs> uh, work in the admissions office, so you may recognize my name from the emails I send you asking for hosts for prospective students. Thank you for answering those. Um, we're going to jump into kind of a heavy topic, but along with a heavy topic, we have a great Savior, um, and so both of those things will be discussed I'm so thankful for the worship, talking about rest, because I know we're in that season as finals are approaching where your souls need rest. Um, so hopefully I can contribute at least a little bit of that. So we're going to talk about the danger of drifting and Jesus Christ as our great high priest who steps in and calls us near to himself even though we have drifting hearts. I wanted to come with a message about rest, a message about kind of a restorative mind frame as you enter in to exam week, as you enter into final papers, but the Lord kept laying this on my heart. So in the words of my pastor, take it up with Holy Spirit if uh, you leave wishing that you had heard about rest today. So we're going to jump in. Before I read the passage that I mostly want to talk about, I'm just going to read a few passages from Hebrews to set up the context here. So this is from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. This is from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you with an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering into his rest stands still, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. The book of Hebrews focuses in on this idea that though we are part of the community of God, though we are surrounded by believers, brothers and sisters, who worship the living God, we still struggle with a danger to drift away. I myself have been greatly blessed to be part of Covenant College's community and now an amazing gospel preaching church with great leadership. Both of these things have left a great mark on my life, teaching me to follow Jesus, teaching me to love my neighbor well. Some of you have no clue the privilege it is that your professors pray with you, that your professors walk with you and disciple you. It's taken for granted, but we really have a privilege here of being part of a community of God who loves the Lord Jesus and wants to follow him well. However, let me say that no amount of Christian education 
No amount of church attendance can protect us from the real danger of drifting from the faith. Covenant College has a great track record. 94% of our alumni are still part of the church years after leaving. But none of us are immune from a drifting heart. The reality is that there are people in this auditorium right now that in 5, 10, 15 years, they may not be walking with the Lord anymore. It may be you, it may be a neighbor, it may be someone all the way across the chapel from you. But the danger is there, it's a real danger. The writer of Hebrews recognized this danger and pointed it out in the church and constantly comes back. He sees that they're going through a hard time. They were going through an intense season of persecution at the time. And he even looks all the way back to Exodus and the people of Israel. And he says, there are many who are standing, worshiping with the people of God who will not enter into his rest. I've already seen this real danger in my own soul. While I was here, as I said, covenant professors really took interest in me, discipled me, grew me up among the faith, but they also watched me wrestle with God. Some of them learned some of my deepest sins. I'll never forget junior year sitting across from a professor that I had sat with for, on a weekly basis for probably about three years at that point. I see him in the crowd today. And I told him, I looked at him and said, I am angry with God, and I am in a season right now where my problem is not that I don't have enough time. It's not that my studies are too much. It's not that I'm overwhelmed with school. That's not why I'm failing to pray. That's not why I'm failing to go to scriptures. My issue right now is that I am angry at God, and I want to stay that way. My issue is that I'm going through seasons of loneliness. My issue is I'm dealing with sins I thought that I should have been well past by now. My issues is trauma from my childhood are starting to creep up and take hold. And quite frankly, if I go to God, I think He'll try to make it all better, and I don't want that. It was one of the most intense moments of me dealing with a drifting heart. And then... I look up, and I start to see some of my classmates who now it's been five years since they graduated. For some of them, three years they graduated with me. And though many of them are strong believers right now, some of them are no longer walking with the Lord, at least not like they did. Some, very few, but some have departed from the faith. Some have just compromised it, so they still have the name of Christian, but looking at their lives, you wouldn't know it. I can't be judgmental of them. I can't be critical of them because as I said, I've seen it in myself. I know what the hymnist feels whenever he says, I am prone to wonder God. I feel it prone to leave this God I love. I know that in my own heart. I've also watched as three different pastors just within the past three years that I knew in some form have had to step down. And my heart grieves, but I look at myself and I, I tremble and I say, will this one day be me? 
My heart also trembles as I look at the students that I absolutely love serving next to. Not any of my staff, you know, but I look out and I'm like, is there a danger that they'll drift? Is there a danger that in 5, 10, 15 years, the love that they have for Jesus right now won't be there? It won't be inflamed in the way that it is. We live in a world that is vying to shape us into its mold, vying to ask us to make small compromises or large compromises and depart. My heart breaks at these thoughts. And I'm brought to ask, not are some going to drift, but how does one keep on? If at the age of 20, we are already facing, I'm a little bit older now, but you know, <laughs> back then whenever I was a junior. Um, in our 20s, we're already facing this immense pressure from within and from without. I think the better question is not, will some drift, but how does someone keep going? How does someone stand firm when our own hearts conspire against us? Thankfully, there are amazing answers to these questions. How does one stand firm? How does one continue on? I read a few kind of warning passages. I want to turn your attention to another passage. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain of his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Focus in on first verse 21, where he says, since we have a great high priest, now, we are a PCA college. Um, most of us are of the Protestant Reformation in here. I'd probably say a good majority, if not all. And so we don't know much about priests at all. <laughs> it's not something that our theology has had room for practically. And so it's hard to paint the picture of what it, what it means to the readers of Hebrews whenever they read, we have a great high priest. We can look at a few images in the scriptures. We know that a priest is a mediator between God and the people. It's a priest that gives us access to God in the Old Testament. It's the priest that assures that our voices are heard in the throne room of God. It's a priest that assured the people of God that they were not passed over by their God, that they were heard. I think of the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, 
a woman that could have easily just never had been known of in history. I saw a Hannah in the crowd smile whenever I said that name, so that was really funny. Now she's laughing. Um, (laughs) Now she's covering her face. Um, (laughs) A woman that could have been lost in the pages of history. She goes to the temple and she weeps before God. She cries in pain because she has borne no children and she wanted to be a mother and she wanted to give her husband children that bore his name. And this pain is aching inside of her. The priest walks in and at first he actually thinks that she's just drunk. She's just there as, as she calls herself as a worthless woman. And she assures him, no. She tells the priest, no. My heart is broken for I bear no children. Seeing her ardency, seeing herself pouring herself out before her God, the priest assures her, your petition will be granted. You will bear. And it says that she leaves that day with a joyful heart. Do you understand what it's like to feel forgotten by God And then have someone of godly influence, someone you trust, step in that you feel speaks for God. Say, He hears you. He's listening. He cares. He will answer. That's what it means to have a priest. And we know that the priesthood has been replaced by the person of Jesus Christ himself. So we can look at a story in the New Testament that says nothing about priesthood, but really shows us what does it mean when we say that Jesus is our great high priest? What do those words capture? We look at the story of Peter particularly. Peter, the guy that we give a hard time because he has a rambunctious mouth and loves to speak. Well, he was doing that on an occasion. It was the night that Jesus would be betrayed to be crucified. And Peter makes statements such as, though everyone else falls away from you, Lord, I will follow you even to death. I will be there. And Jesus, looking at Peter, actually calls him by his legal name, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will stand. A few hours later, Peter would have his own chance to pray. He would be in the garden, and Jesus would say, watch with me and pray. And Peter would go to sleep. And that happens three times, And there's something beautiful there. Jesus is about to go through excruciating pain. He is both going to feel one of the most painful ways to die in human history, and he is going to feel the Father's displeasure for our sin on his shoulders. And Jesus does not fail to pray for Peter. Peter fails to pray for Jesus. Peter fails to pray for himself. 
But Jesus looks at Peter and says, I have prayed for you that your faith will stand. Oh my goodness, that is just like our Lord. Can you imagine whatever your darkest kind of season that you walk through in life? When the doubts are raining in, when your heart struggles with whether or not you can even believe in God, if Jesus walked up to you and says, my child, I have prayed for you. Brothers and sisters, even if you doubt the powers of your own prayers, surely you cannot doubt the power of Jesus praying on your behalf. Even if you feel like you are doing nothing when you are in the throne room of God, surely you can say, if, if Jesus were praying for me, I'd be okay. Do you realize that that's exactly what it means for Christ to be our high priest? Christ ever lives to intercede for you. Christ is right now at the right hand of God praying for you. That, my friends, is why the writer of Hebrews says, since we have confidence, let us draw near. Brothers and sisters, the fact is, life is challenging Many of you have already been through incredibly difficult seasons. And if the Lord gives you another 50 years, you're probably going to go through harder ones. Many of you have already committed great sins. And if the Lord gives you 50 more years, there's a chance that you are going to commit greater ones. But Jesus is your high priest. Some of you are facing just the regular seasons of life right now. Seniors are graduating and still don't have a job lined up and kind of have a house lined up, and I see a senior laughing already. Um, Jesus cares for the sparrows. Jesus has never let one of his children perish. Jesus knows your needs. Some of you welcome the stress of exams and finals compared to what you're going to have to go home to after that week. Hopefully not many of you. Jesus is your great high priest, and as he knew the pain of Hannah in that temple, weeping, in pain. I didn't even touch nearly the surface of the depth that she was going through at the time. Jesus is praying for you. During these times, during seasons in which particularly life is hard, the danger of drifting is greater. There's a danger of growing hard-hearted and callous, or there's a danger of becoming suspicious of God. How could this God allow this thing to happen to me? How could this God who says that he loves me allow me to face this? 
why am I crying this much? Brothers and sisters, I have asked that a lot in my life. Some of you know my story and you know how much credibility there is to that statement. And the writer of Hebrews gives us what is sometimes a hard answer, but always a necessary one. He says, let us enter the holy places. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. I didn't talk about the other side of what it means for Jesus to be a high priest because on the one hand, a high priest is the person who makes the petitions. But on the other hand, a high priest is the one who deals with the sins. His blood is the very thing on which your confidence stands. Jesus Christ, unlike any priest in all of history, has demonstrated his love to you not by bringing a sacrifice to the altar, but being the sacrifice on the altar. Romans 5 tells, tells us that he died for the ungodly, he died for his enemies, and he died for sinners. Heavy statements, but oh my goodness, do we need to know that. Oh my goodness, do we need to know that there is nothing too great for this priest's love. That this priest does not simply overcome circumstances. He doesn't look on what we're going through and what we're feeling and just think, man, I have pity for that person. That's really sad. He, one, bore the pain, and two, he bore it for his enemies. And that is the foundation on which our confidence stands is the reason that we're drifting because we're afraid to approach God? Is the reason because we fear our sin is too great? Are we afraid because we doubt Him and we are suspicious that we are too much for Him? Are we afraid because our Questions are too big and they feel almost blasphemous to want to scream, God, why? He spilled his blood so that you could bring those big questions to him in confidence. So that you could say, I, this may be saying too far, take it up with the Bible department if this is a problem. Um, he spilled his blood so that whenever blasphemous questions come into your heart, you can take them to him. And you could say, just as I said to my professor, I am angry and I want to be. I am mad and I want to stay that way. He died so that you can bring that kind of heart to his throne room and he will take you in and say, I know, I know. With that as our foundation, we can come boldly. The Jewish community had to travel to Jerusalem to petition their priests. 
But the writer of Hebrews reminds us that Christ has brought the holy place to us. He says, let us enter into the holy places by His blood right now. Which means that you can do it at any moment. Christ is always standing there. Christ who exists out of time is not like my counselor who has a two-month waiting list whenever you're trying to get into his office. Christ is there. Perhaps the reason that we do not turn to God is we think that the things that we're praying for are too small, too insignificant. Why does God care about a final exam? C.S. Lewis, thinking about this issue, said this, and perhaps as those do not, who do not turn to God in petty trials do not have the habit or such resort to help when the great trials come, they fail to come. So, they have not learned to ask God for childish things, so they don't have readiness to ask Him for great things. We must not be too high-minded. If we fancy, we may sometimes be deterred from small prayers by our own sense of dignity that it's too small. That was a lot of words to say this. Brothers and sisters, the fact that Jesus spilled his blood is a big truth. And sometimes it feels like if, if that's what he paid for me to come to the throne room, I better come with some big stuff. And he says, I, I did it for all of your person, all of who you are. So draw near. The writer of Hebrews says one last thing that I will not belabor nearly as much as I just now belabored what it means for Jesus to be a high priest. He says this, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. A lot of people turn to this verse to say, here is the textual evidence that we should go to church on Sunday. And that's true, like it, it touches on that, but it's such a bigger passage because it touches on why. Why? Because it's hard to keep walking this way. Because it's hard to wrestle with sin and wrestle with suffering. And so he says, please make sure that you are encouraging one another and stirring each other up. Praise God that I sat across the table from a disciple of Christ whenever I was angry at God who stirred me up to love and good works, who stirred me up and encouraged me and said, you have a hope and you have a God who hears. Brothers and sisters, maybe you're not dealing with drifting at all. Maybe your heart does not have the proneness that mine does, but you have brothers and sisters in your hallway that are struggling. Let us not fail to encourage one another. Let us not fare to speak sweet words to one another. With that, I'll pray real quick, and you'll be dismissed. Father, here we are in your throne room already, coming to our high priest. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that their faith will stand. I pray that they will hear these words and know that you are praying for them. It has been said that if I knew Christ was in the next room praying for me, if I overheard his words, I would not fear a thousand enemies. 
May we, by faith, hear you praying in the next room for us. In Christ's name, amen.